0: From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins.
1: Welcome to Washington Watch. Well, coming up on this Thursday edition, the House is scheduled to vote shortly on the emergency aid package of $14.3 billion to Israel. As the House acts, the Senate scare leader Chuck Schumer just agitates.
2: I'm glad that the president issued a veto threat over this stunningly unserious proposal. Unserious... At a time of crisis like this, from the House GOP leader, the Senate will not be considering this deeply flawed proposal from the House
1: GOP. We're scheduled to get an update from the House floor when uh, New Jersey Congressman Chris Smith joins us uh, shortly. And voters in Ohio, listen up. Next Tuesday, you'll be voting on a life-and-death measure. Pro-abortion forces are pushing a constitutional amendment that will enshrine abortion until birth into your state's constitution. Now, here's Jordan Close, deputy director of Ohio Women's Alliance, which is pushing this pro-abortion amendment. This is what she had to say.
3: All barriers to abortion are racist, harmful, classist, and a tool of white supremacy. Bans on abortion are just one of the coordinated attacks by extremist lawmakers to control and punish black, indigenous, and other people of color, as well as queer, trans, and non binary communities.
1: Hmm. Well, she's one of the spokespersons for this effort to enshrine abortion into the state's constitution. That was close last year, testifying against a pro life measure in the Ohio Legislature. So here's a tip for you, even before we talk about it on the program, pro-life voters in Ohio, you need to vote no on issue one. We're going to discuss it more with Ryan Bomberger of Radiance Foundation a little bit later in the program. The attacks on Mike Johnson's Christian faith, well, they continue. One of the latest is that his statement in a church for Christians to vote for Christians is a religious test. Well, the only test here is the history test that the media failed. I'm going to uh, discuss the distorted allegation that Speaker Johnson is trying to impose a religious litmus test for politicians. So you don't want to miss that. As we mentioned yesterday, while anti-Semitism is spilling onto the streets of America, the Biden administration has announced a special program to combat Islamophobia.
3: For years, Muslims in America and those perceived to be Muslim have endured a disproportionate number of hate-fueled attacks. As a result of the Hamas terrorist attack in Israel and the humanitarian crisis in Gaza, we have seen an uptick in anti-Palestinian, anti-Arab, anti-Semitic, and Islamophobic incidents across America.
1: And was Vice President uh, Kamala Harris in a video announcing their latest identity politics proposal. Well, at the same time, the Biden administration is pressuring Israel to hit pause on its efforts to neutralize Hamas
4: we're really not just talking about like one pause what we're trying to do is explore the idea of as many pauses that might be necessary to continue to get aid out and to continue to work to get people out safely including hostages
1: that was John Kirby coordinator for strategic communications in the White House so will this enable the terrorist or will it help the hostages we'll talk with retired Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin in just a moment. And finally, how has the Biden administration's foreign policy, in particular as it applies to Iran, set the stage for the current conflict in the Middle East? And more importantly, what will it take to stabilize that region? We're going to talk with the former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo later here on Washington Watch. Our word for today comes from 1 Timothy chapter 6. But you, O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I urge you in the sight of God who gives life to all things and before Christ Jesus who witnessed the good confession before Pontius Pilate that you keep this commandment without spot, blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ appearing. Well, today what Paul lays out in this letter to Timothy appears to be radical concepts. But that is only because as a society and a nation, we've departed from these biblical principles. But as followers of Christ, our eyes should not be on the world, but on Jesus. We are called to fight the good fight of faith. For more on our journey through the Bible, go to frc.org slash Bible. The Israeli ground assault into Gaza has reached its seventh day, and Israeli officials continue to predict it will be a long and difficult process of eliminating the threat from Hamas. Israeli forces reached the gates of Gaza City earlier today, engaging in close-quarter combat with members of Hamas. Now, on the southern edge of the Gaza Strip, evacuations continue into Egypt, with 600 foreign nationals expected to have crossed the border today, including Seventy-four Americans, according to the White House, which is now suggesting Israel pushed the pause button on their campaign to let hostages out. But wouldn't the ceasefire merely allow Hamas to regroup and attack again? Joining me now to discuss this. General Jerry Boykin, Executive Vice President at the Family Research Council. General Boykin spent the last four years of his 36-year military career serving as the Deputy Under-Secretary of Defense. For intelligence, he is also one of the original members of the U.S. Army's Delta Force, which was established to focus on counterterrorism and hostage rescue operations. General, welcome back to Washington Watch.
5: Thank you, Tony. Good to be with you.
1: So I know you're uh, tracking this very closely and in contact with uh, with some in Israel. What's the latest you're seeing and hearing as the Israeli ground assault continues?
5: Well. First of all, uh, with regards to this pause or what ultimately would essentially be a stoppage of all the fighting, uh, there is, best I can tell from the people I've talked to, there is uh, no one who wants that in Israel. That, and and I believe that uh, it would be a terrible mistake unless the Israelis determined that they want it. And I don't see that happening, at least not based on the people I'm talking to right now. So I think that uh, I think that the administration here is starting to get cold feet and uh, I'd like to see them uh, pump it back up again and and make it clear that we're not going to push the Israelis to do anything that in any way would be detrimental to their game to their ground game there in the uh, Gaza strip. So let me ask you this general in terms of intelligence uh if
1: in fact as Kirby was saying this is about getting humanitarian aid in and hostages out would wouldn't the israeli uh, intelligence services have a better handle on what's actually happening there on the ground than the us
5: oh no no question about it and that's that's why i say unless the uh, israelis decide that they want to pause for whatever reason and again i don't see that happening and we should not be pushing them to do that they know exactly what they want to do they know exactly how they want to do it And they know what uh, impact a pause or or a ceasefire would have on them. And right now, they have no stomach for that. Well, let me ask
1: you this from a military perspective, strategic perspective. Would not a pause at this point allow Hamas to to regroup?
5: Absolutely. To regroup, refit, uh, resupply, all those things would be done during that you can't trust these people. And 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 we all know that. Anyone that's as barbaric as they have been, you can't trust them in any way for anything. And uh right now I think that uh I think right now the wind is in the sails of the Israelis. But what we don't want to do is do something that would throw them off their game, that would give the uh the their enemy, Hamas, an opportunity to do all those things that you just talked about. So our role
1: and what Congress is doing even now as we uh, as we speak, they'll soon be taking up in the House this uh, aid package for Israel is simply supporting our ally Israel, not directing their combat operations from Washington, D.C.
5: Yeah, that's right, Tony. And we need to remember that. That's a very important point. Uh, We are there to support them. We are not there to tell them how to run their campaign. And uh, I'm afraid that we're sliding in that direction right now, and we've got to we've got to resist that temptation and let them fight their own war. Give them what they need. Give them the material that they need. Give them advice if they ask for it. Give them uh, whatever they need. But uh, we cannot run their war for them, and uh, and they don't want that. Right. They're not asking for that. They don't want to go down in history as having to call America in to to win the battle for them, so to speak. Well, if if we go down this path here in the
1: United States and we start telling them how to run their operation, which would suggest that, as you mentioned earlier, that we're getting cold feet, that opens the door for the rest of the international community to start, you know, trying to handcuff them in their ultimate goal of neutralizing
5: the threat from Hamas. That is that is a great point, Tony. Absolutely. The world is watching us. They know that we're their strongest ally, and and in many ways, they are our strongest ally. And uh, they're watching us to see what we're doing. And I think that the fact that the the president is calling for a pause, for example, uh, is something that is not going to help this situation here, because when we start talking like that, uh, I think what the rest of the world sees is they sees our they see our weakness coming out once again, and uh we're going to have to stand with Israel, and that's all there is to it and uh and they will fight their own war, they will win this war they're going to be successful, but when we start talking about a pause after the president uh, or the Prime Minister of Israel has said, We are going to destroy Hamas.' When we start talking about pauses and ceasefires and that type of thing, that gives all of the people in the world that are watching us as the as Israel's number one ally, that gives them a moment to say, well, maybe the Americans are really not all into this.
1: You don't have to be a brain surgeon to see the connection here between the president talking now about a pause and the backlash that he's getting from the pro-Palestinian uh, agitators here in the United States. I mean, even As we uh, opened the show with last night, the Biden administration announcing a new program to fight Islamophobia.
5: Tony, I tell you, that that is actually embarrassing that we're doing that. If I was a Jew in America today, I would probably be looking for some other place to go because here you've got one of the most incredible atrocities that has occurred in the in the 75 years that Israel has been a nation. And what do we come out with? We're going to come up with a new program to protect Islamophobes. Uh, and th- this is unbelievable to me. What we need to be talking about is, what can we do for Israel? How can we support Israel? How can we stand with them? And, it, and that's not what we're doing this is why america
1: in my view fails in a lot of its foreign policy and even in its military engagement is that we allow politics not the military leaders who are fighting these battles to protect and preserve to make these decisions we make them based
5: upon the political voices that are out there on the streets of america and that's exactly what's happening right now. And and listen, when this thing is all over with, the the Israelis are going to be the winners. And I and I've said this before, and actually on your program. But it is a time for for nations and and organizations to be deciding which side you are on. Yeah. Because this is a time for us to decide whether we're going to be with the Israel Israelis or whether we're going to be with the evil that abounds in this nation and all over the world. All these nations now need to decide. Are you going to stand with Israel, or are you going to stand with the other terrorists?
1: We're going to stand with Israel here on Washington Watch. General, great to see you. Thanks for coming on. Folks, stick with us. We're back after this.
3: Get this free guide at frc.org slash pro to learn more about the important role men play in protecting unborn lives.
1: Welcome back to Washington Watch. We're still waiting to get an update from the House floor as they're making their way through spending bills and we'll be getting to the emergency aid package for Israel later today. All right, next week, voters in Ohio can protect life uh, by voting no on issue one, all right, let's practice that again. Issue one, no. Vote no on issue one. What it would do is actually, if it, this passes, it will go into the state's constitution and will legalize abortion on demand through all nine months. I mean, this is going to put Ohio in league with California. Now, the national abortion industry continues to funnel money into this election, spending more than, brace yourself for this, 18 million dollars so far to blanket the airwaves in ohio so it's critical for christians in ohio to get the vote get out to vote and reject issue one and to tell your friends talk about it at church this coming sunday now this not only protects the lives of innocent babies but also to help women avoid avoid the tragedy of abortion join me now to discuss this, this is ryan bomberger co-founder and chief creative officer of the Radiance Foundation. Ryan was the creative force behind the first ad campaign to expose abortion's hugely disproportionate impact in the black community. And Ryan is among those who have put a face on the 1% of abortions that are done because of rape. Ryan, welcome back to Washington Watch. Great to see you.
6: It's great to see you, Tony.
1: Let's talk about issue one in Ohio. The abortion industry is funneling cash into this ballot initiative to place abortion on demand into Ohio's state constitution. Now, you actually honored your mother for giving birth to you. You were put up for adoption. Not only did she save your life, but her decision also saved her from the tragedy of abortion and a lifetime of regret.
6: You know, I I am that 1% used 100% of the time to justify abortion. I was conceived in rape, but I was adopted in love. And what we often forget is that abortion has a tremendous impact on women, regardless of the reasons for the abortion. So there are physiological, psychological, emotional consequences of abortion. And the pro-abortion side doesn't ever want to talk about that. They want to talk about the incredible regret that women feel post-abortively, the incredible regret that men feel. I mean, 75% of men who were involved in that decision also regret it. So they don't ever want to talk about the, the, the casualties of abortion, they pretend that it's healthcare, and quite honestly, if abortion is healthcare, then then slavery was job care.
1: Yeah, I mean, 55 percent of women who describe themselves as pro-choice struggle emotionally after an abortion, as you pointed out, as 78 percent of pro-choice men do. But there there are other consequences. I mean, many of them find themselves ad- addicted to substances, uh, substance abuse, depression. Uh, suicide? I mean, there, there are many things that the, the pro abortion community doesn't want to tell you about.
6: Well, they don't because the evidence, the actualities of things don't matter to them. The only thing that matters is this euphemistic sort of thing about reproductive health and freedom. The reality is that there are consequences. That's why when they say things like, it's no different than having a tooth pulled, well, p- there aren't support groups for people who have their teeth pulled, but there are many. Hundreds, if not thousands of support groups across the United States for those who are post-abortive. And so when they minimize this and they trivialize the, the impact of the violence of abortion, it just kind of shows, well, which side actually cares about right. women, which side actually cares about the dignity of human life? And,
1: and, and this, if people need to understand, this amendment would just wipe the slate clean of yeah. basic laws like uh, parental notification. I mean, this this enshrines abortion as a, a fundamental right. We're, we're going to go to the, uh, I've got a call coming in from one of the members of the house floor, but I, 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 I want to work this in, Ryan, because you're going to be coming to my home city of Baton Rouge next week yes. for the Caring to Love Ministries 38th annual Celebrate Life Banquet. Uh, I'm the, the MC, but you're going to be the featured speaker. Russ Taft's going to be there singing. Uh, very quickly, share a little bit of what you're going to have to share next week. Well, I am
6: so excited. I love the work of pregnancy centers, and to be able to uplift them is just such a central focus of our organization, the Radiance Foundation. But I'm going to be talking about my story of adoption, not only being the adoptee, but also being an adoptive father. I'm going to talk about women who can be stronger than their circumstances, like my wife, who was a single mom, who was a teacher at the time. She found herself pregnant and then left a toxic situation, a toxic relationship. But yet she chose to be stronger than abortion. And that daughter... My, our daughter Radiance is the reason for the name of our organization. So I'll be t- touching on those stories and some other things at the Caring for Love, and, uh, Caring to it, Love banquet.
1: And I know your story is powerful because I've actually written about it in uh, in No Fear. Uh, you were one of the, the, the young people I uh, I profiled back in that book a few years back. Ryan, look forward to seeing you next week in uh, Baton Rouge. Thanks so much for uh, joining us. Thanks, Tony. So uh, you can find out more about how you can be a part of that event. Go to TonyPerkins.com. All right, let's go to the uh, the House floor. We've got uh, Chris Smith uh, on the House floor. He stepped off to give us an update of what is happening on the House floor today. Chris, thanks so much for joining us here on Washington Watch.
4: Oh, Tony, thank you so very much for having me on. Yeah, we're in a series of two-minute votes, so we're going back and forth. But uh, the very important piece of legislation uh, put out by Republicans, uh, the Israeli Security Supplemental Appropriations Act, 14.3 billion dollars in military assistance to our great friend and ally Israel will, will be voted on very shortly. Uh, and Tony, as you know, it's four billion for the Iron Dome and David Sling missile defense systems, absolutely needed to defend our our ally and the civilian population, especially. And then more money for other, uh, you know, important provisions like foreign military financing and. and um, artillery and munitions production and all the rest. So, so, it's, a, so it's a very well thought out uh, uh, idea. Kate Granger, chairwoman of the Appropriations Committee, is the prime author of it, and uh, we think it's going to pass.
1: So, it, so looks, it looks it looks it good. Looks Do you think there is going to be bipartisan, bipartisan support, support for the bill?
4: The bill? Well, I, there should be some, but the Democrats were complaining bitterly that it was a separate vote away and that the the Ukraine aid package was not affixed to it. I mean, we're, we're the House of Representatives. We you know, where the appropriations, you know, the money originates here. Um, yes, that's the way the president sent it over. But some people will vote no on it simply because of that. And they're also going to vote no on it because it it has an offset. All that money that goes to the IRS, that ridiculous Biden initiative to hire all those new IRS agents, we take money from that and use it as an offset. They're claiming that these are conditions. These aren't conditions. Right. It's just saying, We have money that this White House has improperly allocated for for, uh, you know, really harassing the American public with more IRS agents. So some of them will vote no on it for that reason, which is absolutely absurd.
1: Chris Smith, thanks Thanks so much for for taking taking time time to uh, to join us us there on the House House
4: floor. Thank you, Tony. Great to talk to you.
1: All right, folks, stick with us on the other side of the break. We're going to look at the issue of religious intolerance. That's next. Don't go away. Welcome back to Washington Watch. Good to have you with us. Well, over the last week, one of the many attacks on Mike Johnson's Christian faith by the so called media has been that he, quote, believes in a religious litmus test for politicians. Now, this claim by the uber leftist publication Mother Jones, which the legacy media will often echo or give lift to, published this article in part, and I read, quote, Though Johnson now is second in the line of presidential succession, we're still finding out basic and important facts about him and how he sees the world. This includes his alarming record as a hardcore conservative cultural warrior motivated by a Christian fundamentalist belief who has fiercely opposed gay rights. Now, let me insert what that means. That means he has supported natural biblical marriage. Now, back to the article. Called for a total nationwide ban on abortion, proposed the end of no-fault divorce, and urged a return to 18th century values, end quote. Then he goes on to say, one more significant thing I've discovered is that Johnson's, Johnson appears to believe in a religious litmus test for politicians, end quote. Now, all of this, most of which is exaggerations or distortions of what was actually stated, comes from a seminar that Mike and his wife Kelly taught. Now, I happen to know a little bit about this. Not only was I at the seminar and taught a portion of it, but the course Mike and Kelly taught was based on a God and government course that I've taught going back 25 years. Now, let me go back to the article from Mother Jones. Quote, Johnson was telling the folks in the pews that the only political candidates deserving support are those who share this worldview and who embrace the notion that the United States has been a Christian nation. This, he says, smacks of Christian nationalism and appears to be a religious test for politics, unquote. Now, this guy, or person, I assume it's a guy, didn't check to, I didn't check to see what their preferred pronouns were, but it's obvious they, them, doesn't understand Christianity. In fact, them doesn't understand American history either. Let me explain what Mike was actually talking about. As Moses led Israel out of Egypt with the goal of going into the land of promise Moses' father-in-law Jethro Gave him advice about putting together a decentralized government And by the way, a decentralized government keeps power from being consolidated in one place And that's why we have a federalist system of government It's a deterrent to corruption and tyranny We read about this, Exodus 18, 21 Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God Who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. Now, these qualities of leadership are actually echoed in the New Testament by Paul. Paul, in his letter to Titus, was telling him to uh, look for certain qualities in church leaders. We read this in Titus 1 7. For an overseer, that is a leader, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. I don't think it is a misapplication, nor do I think we would go wrong, by using the same criteria to evaluate political leaders. Now, similar sentiments were stated by John Jay one of our nation's founders, and the first Supreme Court justice of the Supreme Court. This is what he said, quote, Providence has given to our people the choice of their ruler, and it is the duty as well as the privilege and interest of our Christian nation to select and prefer Christians for their rulers, end quote. Whoa, so how does this line up with a prohibition against a religious test laid out in Article 6, Clause 3 of the Constitution? Well, let me read that portion of the Constitution. Quote, the senators and representatives before mentioned and the members of the several state legislatures and all executives and judicial officers, both of the United States and of the several states, shall be bound by oath or affirmation to support this Constitution. But then it goes and states this, but no religious test shall ever be required as a qualification to any office or public trust under the United States, end quote. What does that mean? Well, as it was originally intended, the federal government could not require a religious act or profession to be made in order to hold a public office. It did not apply, by the way, to the states until the Supreme Court expanded it in 1961. This has absolutely no bearing on who or how voters select their candidates. As Christians... We should vote for candidates who align with biblical truth. You have every right to know whether a candidate for office fears God and has a biblical worldview. These same voices in the media who are attacking Speaker Johnson were the ones criticizing evangelicals for not using a religious test when they voted for Donald Trump. If I had a dollar... For every time I was asked, how can you support a man who has been married three times and done X, Y, and Z, I could retire. And I'm sure that that would make some on the left very happy. But here's the truth. I did apply this test in 2016 and 2020. In 2016, I supported Ted Cruz until he dropped out when it was a... And then it became a choice between Hillary Clinton, who had championed abortion around the globe, and Donald Trump, who had embraced conservative, biblically aligned policies. So in my personal capacity, I chose Trump. Now I've spent the last 25 years identifying and working with men and women that God has raised up to serve in public office. Those who fear God are trustworthy and are guided by truth so that they are not easily corrupted. Call it a religious test if you like, But what it is in reality, it's voters preferring good people so that we might have good government. Don't go away. We'll be back with more Washington Watch right after this.
3: Get this free guide at frc.org slash pro to learn more about the important role men play in protecting unborn lives.
1: Welcome back to Washington Watch. Uh, if you'd like more information on the Caring to Love Banquet that's taking place uh, back in Baton Rouge this next Thursday night where Ryan Bomberger is going to be speaking, just go to TonyPerkins.com. Love to have you there to be a part of the event. So the war in Israel and its threat to engulf the entire Middle East region joins a growing list of international crises that the Biden administration has repeatedly proven ill-equipped to manage. It's interesting, former Defense Secretary Robert Gates, who led the military under both Bush and Obama administrations, recently said that the United States now faces the most international crises since the end of World War II. Well, House Speaker Mike Johnson echoed those sentiments uh, speaking to reporters this morning.
0: This is a, a heavy time. If you look over the scope of all human history, and I'm am an amateur historian myself, you know, you'd be hard pressed to find a moment in our history where there are so many challenges, uh, sort of compounded upon us at the same time. And so maybe the time of the Civil War. I mean, I, I think arguably even in the the World Wars and the Great Depression, we've not seen the collection of challenges upon us as we face right now.
1: Iran, Russia, China, North Korea. All pose threats to the United States security and international stability. So, how did we go from relative global calm to near global crisis and chaos in such short order? Joining me now to discuss this is former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, who served during the Trump administration. He was previously as the direct. He served first as the director of the CIA and then as Secretary of State. Prior to that, he was the congressman from the state of Kansas. Secretary Pompeo, welcome back to Washington Watch. Good to see you. Tony, it's great to
2: be with you again.
1: So let's start with Israel. What's your latest assessment on their military progress? And now the announcement that the Biden administration wants Israel to push the pause button.
2: Well, it would be a mistake for the Israelis to pause, I think. But in the first instance, it would be a mistake for them to not do what they think is in their best interest, regardless of what the biden administration or anybody else asked them to do they they need to do the necessary which is to destroy the barbarians that killed 1400 of their own and we should not forget tony killed 30 americans as well uh so you know i you know, i hear them talk about pauses and ceasefires uh, none, of, none of that makes any sense to me if the objective is to take out this terrorist organization to prevent it from ever inflicting this kind of horror these kind of horrors again Uh, then this has got to be gone at hard and fast, and with all the might that Israel can bring to it, certainly with American support. And then America has to do its part, too. We have to continue to remind the world why it is they're engaged in what it is they're doing. And second, we have to make sure that the primary address for the bad actors—it doesn't sit in Gaza, it doesn't sit in the West Bank, it doesn't sit in Lebanon—the primary address for the bad actors sits in Tehran— And the United States is the only nation in the world that can make clear to the Iranians if they escalate this war, there will be real costs imposed on them.
1: Has that message been communicated?
2: I don't know. Um, Certainly not publicly. Certainly the actions we have seen publicly have been a bit too equivocal uh, and not clear that there will be real costs. I think now since October 7th, there have been some two dozen, maybe as many as 30 attacks on American assets, American military In the Middle East and elsewhere, all by Iranian-directed proxies. And as best I can tell, there's only been one rather modest response at some IRGC, some uh, terrorist warehouses. Uh, I doubt that Iran views that as a serious, credible threat against the regime, which is the only thing. Tony, as much as we wish it weren't so, the only thing that will slow down Hezbollah or the Houthis that are threatening Saudi citizens every single day with rockets into Mm -hmm. Saudi Arabia, Uh, the only thing that's going to slow them down is an America prepared to confront the real evil, the driver of this evil, and that's the Ayatollah and his henchman, President Raisi. You
1: know, Secretary, I I don't uh, take pleasure in criticizing the administration because I actually want them to do well. I I, I pray regularly for the president. I want him to make the right decisions because it's to our benefit that he makes the right decisions because I actually want to live in a safe country. Uh, and, and, and I mean, it's it's to our benefit. But there, there's a there's a there's a conflict in worldviews in in many ways between the Democratic and the Republican parties. There There is a propensity on the left to simply want to maybe do conflict containment, where on, on the left, we understand that evil doesn't know boundaries. And so it's like what we see with Israel. It is it is neutralizing the the threat. and And I don't know that. Well, my, my take on this, and I want to get your thoughts on this. It seems like every step this administration has taken in its foreign policy, going back to Afghanistan, has communicated to Iran that we're weak. We're not interested in neutralizing anything.
2: Tony, I mean, you're you're absolutely right. and And your first point is an important one. I'm rooting for America. Today, the president of the United States is President Biden. He's from the other party that I'm not part of. But I am rooting for him and his team to be enormously successful. It matters to me and my family and to our country that they get this right. Unfortunately, um, they have have taken a view that you can use uh, sweet words and American money and diplomacy to push back against evil, right? Uh, Whether that was the debacle in Afghanistan that killed 13 Americans uh, now a couple of years back, whether that was... What happened in Ukraine? You know, Tony, it seems like that doesn't make the news anymore. Vladimir Putin was permitted to invade Europe. Uh, He didn't do that on my watch, on the watch of President Trump. Um, He understood that we were serious about protecting our friends and allies and providing support to them. And when you don't do that, when you allow a Chinese spy balloon to come over your country for five days and do nothing, when you allow them to threaten your friends and you don't support your partners in the region, you call the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia a pariah state, uh, the bad actors can see that. And Chairman Kim, Xi Jinping, Vladimir Putin, you should know they're all working together and they're working against the things that matter to every American.
1: Words matter. You knew that as Secretary of State. Donald Trump knew that. The, the President Biden knows that. And and they as they are analyzing every word we speak to determine whether or not we're serious about maintaining America's interest first or whether or not we uh, subscribe to this idea of a global community. I I, I want to get to, uh, in in a moment, kind of the next shoe that could fall. But first, you know a lot about Iran. And today, uh, Iran ascends to the chairmanship of the United Nations Human Rights Council. I mean, this is uh, unbelievable. Well, I should not say that because the United Nations is useless. They're beyond useless. They are a hindrance and a stumbling block to peace.
2: Tony, i sadly think that has manifested itself in ways in these last couple of years that are make that unequivocally true they are they are worse than ineffective they are dangerous because they provide a a facade of peace creation when in fact they are generative for risk they they act in ways that are deeply inconsistent with their very charter and that's what we were always urging them to do. It's the reason we withdrew from that very council is, like, you really—with with Syria and Iran uh, on the Human Rights Council, you got to be kidding me. So we wanted no part of that, uh, and we didn't give money to the Palestinian UNRWA fund, right, which just funneled the very right. money that you saw about the right. tunnels that killed these Israelis. Right. All, all of these things are—they're small in one sense, but they're indicative of a model for how America ought to protect itself and partner with its allies around the world. And when you get that wrong, Tony— Uh, It becomes a very dangerous place very quickly, whether it was Secretary Gates that you spoke of earlier or new Speaker Johnson. They've got it right. The world is now a much more dangerous place just three years into the Biden administration.
1: So how do we how do we bring back? I mean, look, I know the world is it has been will be a dangerous place. You know, from from my perspective, and I know you you, we, we share the same faith. That ultimate peace doesn't come until the prince of peace returns. But we, we need to manage and we need to re- we need to try to do everything we can to keep this place in order and peace so people can live securely everywhere, not just here in the United States. But I think we have a responsibility elsewhere. So how do we bring that back? I mean, what's it going to take to bring back an element of stability in the Middle East and, and elsewhere?
2: I hope that the Biden administration can see that they just grabbed the wrong end of the stick with respect to Iran, right? Sitting around the table with them trying to beg to get back into the nuclear deal generated precisely the context against which Hamas conducted its barbaric actions on October 7th, right? That that weakness, that appeasement model is dangerous. And so I, I hope the Biden administration will go back to a model that looked much more like the one that we had. Uh, and it extends to things that cross the boundary between foreign and domestic. Think about our own border if the whole world sees that we're not prepared to defend our border, that we are going to allow tens of thousands of illegals to enter our country every day, they don't for a moment think we're going to go defend someone else's border and help them do that. You have to get these things right, Tony. It is, It is a fundamental understanding of human nature. When one accepts that evil roams the earth, and while we are here, you're right, as an evangelical Christian, I pray one day— that the that Jesus Christ will return. I know that he will. But until that time, uh, we have to demonstrate the Reagan axiom of we win, they lose, and acknowledging this evil, and being prepared to confront it. That, that doesn't mean taking risks that are silly and ridiculous. It doesn't mean sending the 82nd Airborne everywhere. Goodness knows we didn't do that for our four years. But we drew red lines that made sense for our country, and when someone crossed them, we defended them precisely as we promised the world that we would.
1: You know, no, no apologies needed for being strong and providing security and peace for a large chunk of the world. I mean, th- that's what America's role has been. And I agree. We don't need to be overly aggressive. But, you know, there's a responsibility comes with those who have been given a lot. And this country has been given a lot. And we have a responsibility to to use it wisely. I'm concerned. I, look, I, I'm an optimist. Again, I, I'm rooting that we'll do this right, but I'm very concerned about uh, another country that you and I both know are is probably our greatest enemy, and that is China. You, you tried to keep them, in, and I think, think did a pretty good job keeping them in check as Secretary of State. What are they reading into all that is happening right now, and is this a moment where we need to be watching very closely what they do as it pertains to Taiwan?
2: Uh, undoubtedly, Tony. Uh, of all of these threats, the one that truly can change the way our children and grandchildren live is the Chinese Communist Party led by Xi Jinping. Uh, there's there's no doubt about that. A very, very big military, uh, 1.4 billion people, uh, a big economy, too. That matters. Uh, he's, he's watching how we behave. He's going to see whether we give up uh, in Ukraine or whether we stay at it. He's going to watch, are we doing that while still making sure that we're doing the hard work that needs to be done, power projection in the Pacific, the, the area in which he will begin to expand his hegemonic empire? And then he's certainly watching, um, do do we let our friends and allies do what they need to do? That is, will we let the Japanese, will we let the South Koreans, will we permit them to do the hard work of preparing to defend their own countries, and will we support Taiwan giving it the tools and and intelligence collection capabilities that it needs in order to defend itself. If he sees us walk away from our friends, if he thinks that we will tire too quickly, Tony, that is a bad sign. It's something that that Xi Jinping will see, and he'll begin to extend his influence and power in ways that are even deeper than what he's doing on social media today, where he is shaping the minds of our children.
1: Well, and we see in the foreign policy of this administration, they're pushing what I call the, uh, the, the unholy... Uh, Trinity of abortion, LGBTQ, and climate, and they're driving many of our our partners away because they're putting strings on our foreign aid, and they're driving them into the arms of China, especially in Africa. Uh, In fact, I just saw where President Biden wanting to remove four countries from the special trade status uh, in Africa. I mean, this is pushing them right into the arms of China,
2: and and we'd seen Tony too we'd seen what this administration did, essentially swapping out as a priority climate change uh, for what we worked on, which was religious freedom. Uh, right. and make no mistake about it. Um, when we go to Xi Jinping and tell him, hey, we want to work on climate change with you, he smiles and nods and builds another coal-fired power plant. Yeah. When, when we talked seriously about tolerance and religious freedom, about the Catholic Church inside of China, about the the, the million Muslims that are held in their camps, the Uyghur camps in the western part of China. When we spoke to those things, we we united the world uh, against the threat that people could see challenging just the most fundamental basic human rights that everyone of every faith can understand matter. Uh, and extent, if you trade that out for climate, uh, I think Xi Jinping says these are not serious men and women. These are not people who actually understand humanity and human dignity. And when he sees that, he says they're no different than us. They're no better than us. Uh, and i'm going to i'm going to demonstrate that to the world and he'll find lots of adherence whether that's in south america or in africa or in southeast asia he will he will see american weakness and decadence and he will promote it and when he sees those things he'll move more aggressively tony it is true every time in in the civilization's history strong civil societies people who have a foundational understanding of who they are and their faith are much more prepared and capable of protecting their own people
1: And and, and Mike, you just hit on how an administration shapes the international conversation. When the Trump administration was in position and you were secretary of state, and and you said repeatedly that religious freedom was your number one foreign policy objective, and we had the chance to work together when I was at the commission, the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom. That was a discussion globally. I remember having those conversations with uh, even Islamic country leaders. Now... You're absolutely right. It's about climate. It's about abortion. It's about the LGBT agenda. Religious freedom doesn't even get a peep from world leaders now. As a result of this, uh, Secretary Pompeo, always great to see you. Thank you so much for uh, being generous with your time today. Great to talk with you. Hope you're doing well.
2: Thank you, Tony. It was great to be with you, and it was a blessing to work with you on religious freedom all around the world. It was, and it was fun to be with you today too.
1: Well, we're going to keep that work up. So uh, let's let's team up and do some Amen. other stuff. All right, folks. This is another example of how elections have consequences. It is such a stark contrast. Okay, a world, always dangerous, but yet there was relative calm. There was a conversation about religious freedom. And I, I literally had conversations with Islamic country leaders about that and they were working to change their laws. Not anymore. We have a, a world on fire, and religious freedom is being lost. Elections have consequences. Pray, pray. All right, folks, we're out of time for today. Thanks so much for, uh, for being with us. Pray, vote, stand. We've got to vote. Until next time, I leave you once again with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed,